Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. All right, we're, we're in this season of a burning heart. How many feel like God's turning up the temperature in this church, turning up His temperature in our hearts? personally and corporately, and I sense that this is what God is wanting to do in this day. I think that we're starting to catch his drift, that without revival, we're in trouble. And so uh, I'm beginning a series today on the spirit of revival and uh, what it means to be people that move after the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God intends to revive us. Amen? That's better news than you're responding. I believe God intends to revive us. And um, the key is that we need to have ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to the convicting work of his Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going to base this message out of Luke chapter 1. You can go there if you want. And this series is going to be based out of this, these uh, couple of verses from Luke chapter 1, 13 to 17, particularly 16 and 17. And it's the uh, assignment that was on John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was born as a result of a promise, and not just a promise that God made to his parents, but a promise that God made to the planet generations before. Could you imagine being the answer to a prophetic promise that God had made? Could you imagine what it would be like that that there there was something in God's heart, that timing converged, something he spoke of a long ago. He said, now I want to release it. Imagine being the fulfillment of a promise that God made generations ago for a generation yet to be born. More than imagining it, let me just get you to consider this from Romans chapter 8. The Bible says this, that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What am I saying? I'm saying there is a prophetic generation that's yet to be born that will be the fulfillment of this word where creation itself will turn and glorify God and usher in the glory of the Lord and a great awakening that precedes the coming of Jesus. There is a generation yet to come. Could it be this generation? I believe that living by faith means that we would actually have to posture ourselves to say, why would we defer it in chances that it may not be? Why not position ourselves in faith and hope that it may be and that we would be those who pursue the Lord in that way? What does it take to walk in an anointing that fulfills prophetic promise and the longing of God? What does it take? That's a good question to write down in your notes. What does it take to be a generation that walks in the prophetic fulfillment of the longing of God's heart. I believe that we get clues to that. We get the indication of that from the promise that God spoke over John the Baptist to his father, Zechariah. Because John the Baptist had the assignment to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus in the same way our hearts must be prepared for the coming of the Spirit of the living God in revival. God spoke To John the Baptist's father, his name was Zechariah, he was a priest, he was assigned a once in a lifetime opportunity. Every priest got one rotation in their their tour of duty. They got one shot at moving into the most holy place. Some never got that opportunity. He had a once 
in a lifetime opportunity to go into the most holy place and burn offerings before the Lord. When he went in there on behalf of the people, God spoke to him directly. And God began to speak to him about what he was going to do for the people of God, actually through the seed that Zechariah was carrying. Though an elderly man, God made a promise to him and said, you're going to have a child. Listen to this, Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Sometimes you have to pray. This is an old man who's about to walk in being a young dad. Don't lose gas while you're praying. Don't give up because you don't see the answer right away. Sometimes prayer requires persistence. Maybe not sometimes, maybe all the time. Let's just throw sometimes up. Prayer requires persistence. And so the angel speaks to him and says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled from the Holy Spirit, even from birth. That's even worth reflecting on as that pertains to a spirit of holiness. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How many want to be a people prepared for the Lord? Then this is an assignment that we can press into. The spirit of revival in the church, the spirit of revival on the church. I believe there are five marks that we can see in this text, and we're going to unpack them one week at a time over the next five weeks starting today. There are five things that mark a generation of revival. Previous revivals and awakenings have been marked by these things. And if we want to carry the glory of God, we're going to have to be marked by these same things as well. Otherwise, we're just wishing for revival. I'm not interested in just crossing my fingers and hoping I see one in my lifetime. Anybody with me? These are the things that we got to press ourselves into. Do we earn it? No, we prepare for it. Five things. We move from wandering to reunion. That is, backsliders come back to faith in Jesus Christ, to a living faith in the Lord. Secondly, we move from being powerless to prophetic. Thirdly, we move from hardness to tenderness. That is a restoration of the family unit. It's part of the revival. How many know we need to see that in our lifetime? We move from disobedience to righteousness. And finally, we move from being unprepared to a holy expectancy. And if you didn't get those, I'll listen to it again later in the week because I'm on limited time here and I want to get into the Word. Okay, so I want us to look at the first one, from wandering to reunion. From wandering to reunion, backsliders returning to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Why would people need to be brought back to the Lord? Listen carefully to the language of Scripture. What does it say? It says, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. In the Old Testament, which is where John the Baptist ministers, just understand the new covenant opens up at the cross. He's ministering, greatest of the Old Testament prophets, he's ministering under an old covenant. And the people of Israel were up until that point, the people of God. After the cross, Jesus opens us up. We get grafted into Israel spiritually. And we all are the people of God through faith in Jesus' name. 
So what God is saying to John the Baptist about the people of God, the nation of Israel, but even spiritual Israel, that it's possible. Why would people need to be brought back to the Lord? Because it's possible to fall away. And if we want revival, we're going to have to confront where we find ourselves in relation and proximity to the Lord. Why would people need to be brought back? Because it's possible to backslide. It's possible to fall away. It's possible to abandon first love and to go after other lovers. And honestly, a faithful reading of Scripture, even a scant reading of Scripture, will demonstrate this to you without even trying. Adam and Eve fell away from their walk with God in disobedience and sin. Cain and Abel, Lot's wife, who was delivered but then turned and looked back on what she was missing out on and was judged in that moment. Solomon, who was anointed with wisdom like no one else ever before or since, and yet he backslid into waywardness from God later in his life. The nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, if you read the Old Testament at all, a prophetic word from any prophet is calling God's people back to a place of right relation to the Lord. So, so this idea that you could just pray a prayer once and it somehow puts you in a magical category without any maintenance of soul towards devotion to Jesus, I don't find witness in Scripture. And I'm unapologetically saying that to you this morning. Every single one of us needs to be aware that we're converted at a heart level. Unless our hearts be converted, the whole of our believing, the whole of our obeying, and all of our discipleship endeavors are in vain. Without a converted heart, much of our discipleship effort is spent in an endless cycle of transgression and repentance instead of forward momentum in God. And we settle for that as normal. I just kind of repent, I get over this, and then I do the same thing, and I keep saying sorry, and I keep going back. You're saying, Pastor Matt, are we wearing out mercy? No, we can't wear out mercy, but we can stay in kindergarten our whole lives instead of graduating into being a people that see the move of his spirit. It's time for us to mature and put childish things behind us. This is, again, the message throughout the the New Testament writings, the Pauline epistles, the book of Hebrews, talking about you should be ready for meat, but you're back on milk, and you need to mature. What is it? We need to graduate from just staying at a baseline of just saying sorry over and over and over again and actually become people who are moving forward, becoming more Christ-like, that it's evident in our lives. People can see it. Without a converted heart, we end up trying to convince people, the people of God, we, preachers, pastors, we end up trying to convince God's people to turn away from what they ought to be already repulsed by. Because the heart isn't converted. A heart that's been converted is a heart that's on fire for God and the things of God. That I value what he values. I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. I've got a heart burning for righteousness and obedience. Not seeing how close I can get to the line and enjoy as much of the world as I can. And see if I can still claim grace and sneak into heaven. A heart that's on fire says, God, I want my whole life to be consumed by you. And I want my whole life to burn for the presence of the Lord. And so we need to be given a brand new heart. That's, that's the conversion at a heart level. That is the call that God put on John the Baptist. It's the call that's, that's, for those who have ears to hear, it's the call that's going out in this generation, in this time. Will we be those that keep going closer to the Lord or will we get cold? The law of thermodynamics tells us that heat transfer goes from hot to cold. 
You take a hot pan out of the oven, one minute it might burn your hand, the next minute you can handle it with ease. Why? Because as it comes out of the heat, it cools down all by itself. You don't have to do anything to it. It's the nature of things. So it is in the spirit that the fire of God can begin to dwindle and go out until it's a glowing ember. And even worse, just the ashy remnant of what once burned bright and clear. And what we need is to have a burning heart that brings us into the reality. I need a converted heart. I need to burn for Jesus. I need my heart at a heart level to burn for the right things and to be repulsed by the wrong things, driven by the spirit of holiness on my face before God, calling on him, asking for him to meet my family, not just adopting different theologies that give me an ease so the burden lifts, but it's not a burden that lifted because God took it off. It's because I took my foot off the gas. God wants a church that's burning with a conviction and a passion to see the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. The first work of the Spirit of God reviving his church is the drawing and convicting work of the Holy Spirit. It's the first work and it's the sustaining work all the way through. He leads us on a salvation. It's, it's the need of our lives to have a rebaptism of love and devotion because it's the tendency of the human heart to wander and what we need is reunion with the living God. In his generation, the prophet Ezekiel had this message that God gave to him in Ezekiel 36. He said, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, we need that heart to be given to us. That's the conversion of heart. It's not just believing right and being in the right place at the right time. It's at a heart level being changed from stone to flesh and letting God move me by his spirit. Jeremiah was given this word to his generation in Jeremiah chapter three. He said, a cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel because they've perverted their ways and they've forgotten the Lord, their God return faithless people. I will cure you of your backsliding. Yes, we will come to you for you are the Lord our God. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So there's a commotion in this generation. I'm not ignorant that the commotion exists even within the walls of the church, but God is stirring and there's a prophetic rumbling that if we can hear what he's saying, he's calling even in the house of the Lord that we be converted at a heart level. That we're not just trying to believe right. And we're not just trying to keep a bunch of rules and compare ourselves one to the other. But the standard of Jesus Christ is held over our lives and not just feeling better than someone else. Jesus, burn in me until I look like you. Convert my heart. Make me ready to know you. Backsliding only reveals how desperately our hearts need to be continually pricked by the Spirit's conviction. At the age of 22 years old, Robert Robinson penned these words and set them to music back in the 1700s. Words of a song that was really a prayer that bear witness to the burning heart even today. He said, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing your praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing calls for songs of loudest praise. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the face of God. He to save my soul from danger, interposed his precious blood. Listen to this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it with thy spirit from above, rescued thus from danger and sin, purchased by the Savior's blood. May I walk on earth a stranger as a son and heir of God. The church that desires to receive new wine, that type of the Holy Spirit, that language of outpouring, the church that desires to receive the new wine must first become a new wineskin. This means that even previous outpourings that have stretched us and renewed us have the ability to restrain us and harden us to the new wine because of our familiarity and it needs to give way to our wonder at the spirit of majesty. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter 2. I'm moving as quickly as I can, wanting to honor the spirit of conviction that the Lord is brewing in this house. Mark chapter 2. Jesus answers a question that was posed to him by religious people wondering why they fast and his disciples don't. Jesus unpacks a multi-layered in its application parable word picture that really speaks to the outpouring of a new era. Jesus in that first uh, declaration of this word was speaking of himself saying the new wine is here. Now isn't the time to fast because the bridegroom's here. But when the bridegroom is taken away, then it's time to fast. What does that mean? When Jesus, he was saying, when he ascends into heaven, there will come a time that the church will get a burden for the nearness of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that longing will burn in us. And what we'll be longing for is an outpouring. And that outpouring is typified in new wine, which is really just grape juice. Until it's poured into a wineskin, until that fermenting process can begin, it's really just saying, God, pour something fresh in me that as it ferments and as it grows and as that life of the Spirit, takes work in me as it takes root in me that I like a wineskin could stretch and expand with it and so he says this Mark chapter 2 21 no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment if he does the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse verse 22 and no one pours new wine into old wineskins if he does the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. It's not enough for us to desire revival. We need to be revived. It's not enough for us to desire an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray that as I preach this morning, that craving takes deeper root in every heart. But hear me, more than just wanting a touch from God and tingles and wonderful feelings and really exciting things happening at church, what we really need is to be made new at a heart level, like a new wineskin, to receive new wine. The desire isn't enough. Transformation is the demand. God wants to pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus said that both the wine and the skin are ruined. If the new wine is poured into an old wineskin, it ruptures that vessel. And what happens is the vessel is destroyed and the wine is poured into the street. The wineskin is the individual person. It's the local church and it's local church movements. It's person and it's people and it's movements. God wants to renew people and he wants to renew local churches and he wants to renew local church movements. An old wineskin is one that's been previously used. 
previously stretched. The capacity of its, uh, the limitations of its capacity has been reached. Not in terms of workload or ability, but in terms of passion. A wineskin that has been stretched has already received new wine and then been stretched to its limits. And then as that wine is poured out, it's now hardened at the shape of its maximum capacity. And the, the, the braggadocia says, then I can take in something new. But if you take in something new and put a lid on it, when it begins to ferment, there's no more room left to stretch. And so what needs to happen? The wineskin needs to be renewed. Now, I don't know much about winemaking at all, much less first century winemaking, uh, but there is Google. And I learned this. Once a wineskin has been emptied of all the old wine, it becomes dry, hard, and brittle. The wineskin, hear this. This is how you make a wineskin new. The wineskin needs to be submerged in water for a period of time. And then it has oil poured on it. The oil is massaged into the leather to renew it and make it pliable again. Now, if you've got ears to hear, that's the easy, low-hanging fruit message right there. We need a fresh baptism. That's what it's saying. We need to take Jesus seriously when he said, if you want to follow me every day, crucify yourself, take up the cross, come follow me. Oh, but I'm born again. Well, get born again, again. Well, do I need to? Every day. According to Jesus, I don't know. Maybe we should listen to him. Every day, take up your cross and follow me. And this wineskin that needs to be renewed isn't a matter of let's throw this one out and get another one. It's let's submerge this one. Let's baptize it. Let's put it under the water. Let's baptize it again until it gets soft. And then let's take it from there and massage in the oil that begins to soften that skin and make it ready for a fresh new work of God. There's something about uh, the, the nature of our hearts that time and adversity and life and experience and even distance from the previous outpouring starts to create a brittleness. And we hate to admit it, but the longer we hate to admit it, the further we push off revival. It's a spirit of humility that welcomes the spirit of God that says, Lord, I need to be renewed. Lord, I need you to baptize me again. I need you to make my heart soft again. I need, I asked you last week to take an inventory of those things that maybe was there a time that you were more sensitive to the Lord than you are now. There was a time that you burned hotter for the Lord than you do right now. That gap in distance isn't because God just kind of went into orbit. It's because we began to drift and our hearts began to get cold. We don't want to admit it. But when we admit it, that's actually what repentance is. And it's saying, God, our hearts are longing for you more than the other things that are crowding the space of our lives. That when we take inventory of them, how much does it account for? I'm not talking about your job. I'm not talking about being gainfully employed. I'm not talking about providing for your family. I'm not talking about meaningful relationship and connecting with people. But I am talking about what about the mindless hours of just scrolling and viewing and all of these things that just start to deplete. And it's like, yeah, but that's how I unwind. Yeah, but how much unwinding do we need to do before we begin to burn again? Until we begin to say, Lord, I need to be submerged and I need to be oiled. I need, I need you to work in me at the individual person level. 
that we need to confront our satisfaction with where we've been before. Praise God for every prior outpouring. But that was then. What does God want to do now? Praise God for that. Let it educate me and, and, and let it grow me. But at the same time, Holy Spirit, submerge me and oil me until I'm ready for what you want to do now. Make me ready. I don't want to be hardened by disappointments and difficulties. I need to be softened by the water and the oil of the Spirit. At a local church level, feeling satisfied, resting on a reputation of prior experience, prior outpouring, can never, can never replace the sweetness of the new wine that God wants to pour in. Reputation. Jesus dealt with this in, in the book of Revelation, speaking to different churches. Hey, I know your deed, I know your reputation. I know you've got the reputation of being people that are hot, but actually you're cold. I know you've got the reputation of really being something, but there's, there's been some drift. What we need is to say, Lord, if that's true in us in any way, this is what precedes the outpouring. This is what was on John the Baptist. This is what's on the generation that sees the outpouring of God is a quickness to say, Lord, reunite me, bring me back to you. Not just in, hear me, not just in saving faith. Bring me back to you in living faith. Bring me back to you in day-to-day living by faith, not by sight. Walking by faith, not by sight. Bring me back to you at a heart level. That, that, that my heart is moved into the spirit of prayer. That I find that my mind wanders, not just to problem solving and worry, but my mind wanders to the presence of the Lord. And I find myself musing in conversation with the Lord. Bring me back to that. At a movement level, movements, collections of churches, all, all if not most of them, uh, you know, surround themselves and have some beginning that the, the beginning of a collection of churches was because of something that the Spirit was doing in those churches and they found one another and said, let's persist in this together. And then what happens over time? Structures get built and all of these things stand in place and all of this scaffolding is all in the way of looking like we're these people that have that reputation. But God says, I want to do something new in this collection of churches. What's the hope for revival? Hear me, it's a hope for new wine. But renewal needs to come first. New wine doesn't validate an old wineskin. It ruins it. Can I say that again? New wine doesn't validate an old wineskin. It ruins it. A wineskin is a vulnerable space for the treasured new wine. When we don't handle the presence of God with holiness, in the moment we're amazed by the graciousness of God, but later from a distance we question if it was God at all. In God's mercy, when I was just cutting my teeth, beginning in ministry, there was a move of God's Spirit all around me. I got to taste it, be a part of it. And I got to, just because I was kind of the little brother in this thing, others were kind of taking the charge and I just got to kind of see and too many brothers touched it without a holy hand. With a common hand, they touched it. And now, spiritually, what lies in the, in the wake of that is people who, I think, in those moments where God was truly moving, because there wasn't the renewed heart and holiness, what happens is, from time and distance, you begin to look and go, I don't know if that was God at all. I don't know if I was prophesying. Maybe I was just shooting my mouth off and people were excited. 
I don't know if that was really God. I don't know what that was. And then you move away from that and you become dependent on the feelings and the high of the new wine without being dependent on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is the heart grows cold and many have wandered into not even total apostasy, not even following after Jesus, not, not in obedient living and some, some not even in the confession of their faith. Pastor Matt, are you saying that in judgment this morning? No, I'm saying that in expensive observation. It's too expensive to ignore. That it says to me, as we hunger for the fresh outpouring of God's Spirit, we need to have a, a pre-hunger to that, to say, Lord, renew me. What do I mean? I mean, could it be the mercy of God that our hunger for outpouring and the, the greater things that are yet to come, and believe me, my faith and my heart is there, but could it be in the wisdom and the mercy of God, He waits for us to hear the call of His Spirit to be made new so that we don't just have a few years of great church, but we actually have totally renewed lives that have taken in the new wine and we've been stretched and made ready so that we can live this thing out for the rest of our days and not just have a moment. I don't want a visitation. I want a habitation of the Lord. And so we need courage to let God take us into new territory. Let me say this. An old wineskin is perfectly designed to contain what has already been. But a new wineskin is perfectly prepared to contain what has not yet been. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.